0: So, join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8 28 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 21st of April, 2022. This is episode 577 of Bitcoin. And this weekend is Texas slim, AKA modern T man. Uh, the beef initiative conference is going on in Kerrville, Texas, uh, this Saturday. And then there will be like a, a, like a devotional event on Sunday morning, I believe, but like the great guts and feathers of everything that's going to be discussed about beef and ranching and Bitcoin and lots of other stuff uh, are going to be held on Saturday in Kerrville, Texas. Um, If you have not gotten your tickets yet, I don't think that there's a chance that they're going to sell out because this is the very first conference of its kind. And it's, you know, it just kind of popped up. So I'm, you know, if you, if you're worried that you're not going to get tickets, uh, I kind of wouldn't worry about it, but I may be wrong. I don't know. I'm going to try to be there. I'm going to do everything that I can to be there. Um, and even, I mean, that shit was actually threatened as of yesterday, which is why I didn't bring you a show yesterday because the afternoon before, guess what? My water line snapped. Yeah, water line to the house. Actually, thankfully, though, it wasn't the actual water line itself. It was a irrigation box for the sprinkler system that was connected to it, a sprinkler system that hasn't actually ever worked since we uh, purchased this house. Uh, so um, after three times the amount of money that I think it should have cost, I was able to get water back onto my house. But if it had been a worse situation... Where they had to trench and and do a, a brand new water line, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to go to this this conference. So, like I said, I'm going to try to be there uh, because there are some there are several people that I want to talk to, and I haven't been able to talk to my good buddy Slim in quite a while. Um, so, if you're gonna go, you know, if you're if you're thinking about, that you want to do something this weekend and you're in the Texas Hill Country or or within like a five hour radius of Kerrville, Texas, you should. You should probably go. It looks like it's gonna be. Uh, it looks like it's gonna be fun. So I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, between now and when I get on the road on Friday, nothing untoward happens. But yeah, you've never if you've never met me and, and been around my luck, uh, <laughs> you'll uh, uh, you'll just just do me a favor. Just say some prayers for me that nothing else falls out of the fucking sky so that I can go to this damn thing and see some Bitcoiners again. Okay, let's start with with the news. Bonds are down 30% from all-time highs. Good God, and they say Bitcoin has problems. (sighs) Bitcoin Magazine. Dylan LeClaire and Sam Rule writing it. Recently, the United States 30-year treasury bond yield hit over 3% as the treasury bond market across durations and broader credit markets continue to sell off. The rise in yields have resulted in much higher bond market volatility and significant drawdowns for investors. The iShares 20-year treasury bond ETF, TLT, which tracks an index of long-duration maturities is now down over 30% from the all-time high back in July of 2020. The latest drawdown is the fastest deceleration across a 30-day percentage change since May of 2009. For context, Bitcoin is only down roughly 39% from its all-time high, so much for long-dated U.S. Treasuries providing low volatility, portfolio hedging performance, and risk free rates that's right it's important to keep in mind the long term outlook of the global economic system when evaluating the performance of bitcoin and debt securities because of the real reality because of the realities of the historic debt burden that worsened post covid-19 economic lockdowns followed by the historic stimulus that followed debt as an asset class was a promise of return free risk Debt is not merely an agreement between borrower and lender, but in the global economy, it underpins the entire financial system as a liquid asset class, the largest one at that. Because of the reality of roughly $100 trillion worth of credit promising return-free risk, never mind the assets that are priced off of the historically negative real rates, Equities, real estate, etc., etc. Our case has repeatedly been that the perfect asset in theory to hold at this stage of a long term debt cycle is one with no counterparty risk and zero dilution risk. Theory met reality with the advent of the Bitcoin network in 2009. Now, as the entire investing world is working to figure out how to outpace the historic inflation regime we are faced with today, there stands Bitcoin which continues to look remarkably cheap against the market valuation of literally every other asset on the planet. So there you go. <laughs> Dylan LeClaire, Sam Rule. Uh, uh, this is actually from, uh, I think they write a piece called, let me see here. Uh, this is for Bitcoin Magazine Pro. So it's just an excerpt of their uh, real report because I don't, I don't subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro. Um, but in either event, they're not wrong. I mean, 30% off of their highs. And when you really get down to it, what's, what's the real question here? Is it that Bitcoin is a better asset class than, you know, bonds? Is it that bonds are showing volatility, you know, that makes Bitcoin not look so volatile anymore? No, those are not my questions. My question is this. What is a bond. And I I would love to get Greg Foss <clears throat> to come talk to me about bonds. And honestly, I've listened to several of Greg Foss and other people, you know, not just Greg, but a whole bunch of other people talk about bonds, people who know about bonds, people who've traded bonds, people who have had to do, you know, use bonds or, or view bonds through the lens of risk management. And you know what? And of all the questions that have been asked by various podca- podcast hosts to Greg and various other bond managers and former bond managers, what I what I of all the answers, I still don't know what a bond actually is. What does it represent? Where does its value come from? And I get the feeling that if I were to ask any one of these bond managers, they would give me a straight up answer and it would still not be satisfactory because when I'm looking at this thing, at a bond and several other different instruments, but let's just stick with bonds for right now. Where did it come from? What's the history of a bond? Who or when or where and or all of these things combined did a bond come from? what was the first instance of a quote unquote bond and why did it have to come into existence? I guarantee you there was a time in humanity where there was no such thing as a bond somewhere back in God only knows when, but I am also aware that bonds have been around for hundreds of years or at least something that could technically be termed as a bond. So again, again, Why do they exist? What are they? What purpose do they serve? Do you know the answers to that? And I'm not saying if you know the answers to that to hit me up on Twitter. I'm literally asking you to stop and think. What the fuck is a bond? Why is it here? What does it do? Is it absolutely necessary? Was there ever a time in history that it was necessary? These questions are the most important questions I think we need to have answered for us as we move forward into this financial future. Because I keep looking at this stuff and all I can think of is, is this just like an old ass NFT? I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But of course, then again, I'm freaking illiterate, right? I am my literacy of finance is pathetic, according to Canada's Globe and Mail Mark Rendell doesn't like me, so he wrote all about it. Bitcoin investors tend to have low financial literacy, according to Bank of Canada Research. Well, of course that's what your research showed. (laughs) Jesus. Canadian Bitcoin owners tend to have low levels of financial literacy while being exposed to elevated levels of financial risk, according to a new Bank of Canada Research. Okay, so apparently, since I'm not Canadian, I'm okay. Only Canadian Bitcoin investors are stupid beyond compare, right? Yeah, right. Based on a series of surveys, (laughs) central bank researchers found that around 5% of Canadians owned Bitcoin between 2018 and 2020. That ownership was concentrated among young, educated men with high household income and low financial literacy, the researcher said in a paper summing up the survey results released last week. The researchers found that Bitcoin owners tend to have a greater knowledge of how Bitcoin technology works than non-owners, but score lower on general financial knowledge questions. At the same time, quote, Canadians who are financially literate are more likely to be aware of Bitcoin than the average Canadian, but less likely to own it, the researchers said. The survey, conducted annually between 2016 and 2020, highlighted the risk of investing in the volatile and sparsely regulated asset class around half of the current or past Bitcoin owners who responded to the surveys reported being affected by negative events such as a price crash, scam, or data breach. The Bank of Canada has been tracking the adoption of cryptocurrencies since 2016 to see how they are being used and whether they represent a challenge to the existing monetary and payment system oh yeah they do so far cryptocurrency ownership remains relatively limited in canada and most people treat it as an investment rather than as a means of payment around 15 percent of bitcoin owners who responded to 2019 survey said their main reason for owning the asset was for making payments the last survey included in the research paper was conducted in November of 2020, which means that the research misses the run-up in cryptocurrency prices at the end of 2020 and into 2021. It also does not account for recent regulatory changes, such as the approval of cryptocurrency exchange-traded funds in 2021, which may have broadened ownership. A pair of surveys conducted by KPMG in 2021 and early 2022 found higher levels of cryptocurrency adoption including among institutional investors. 32% of the respondents to an international or institutional investor survey said they had some exposure to crypto assets, while 13% of respondents to a separate retail investor survey said they had bought crypto assets. The Bank of Canada's research suggests crypto investors need to be aware of the risks that accompany the asset class. 18% of the current or past Bitcoin owners surveyed by the bank said that they had experienced a price crash. Oh my God, could you imagine? 14% said they had lost access to their digital wallets. And 12% said they had participated in an initial coin offering that ended up being a scam. The volatility... Of cryptocurrency prices alongside the history of fraud in the sector most notably the collapse of canada's quadriga cx crypto exchange has raised some financial stability concerns in its most recent financial stability report published last may the bank of canada said that these markets are not of systemic importance in canada neither as an asset class nor as a payment instrument, but this could change if a large technology firm, a so-called big tech with a sizable user base, decided to issue a cryptocurrency that became widely accepted as a means of payment, the bank said. The Bank of Canada is developing a prototype of its own central bank digital currency. Who would have guessed a kind of digital cash usable for online payments? The federal government has yet to green light the launch of a CBDC, but the central bank is working on plans in case the government gives it the go-ahead. There are two main reasons why central banks may want to develop their own CBDCs. A collapse in physical cash use or widespread adoption of cryptocurrencies or other private digital assets, both of which could undercut the central bank's position at the heart of the payment system and its ability to conduct monetary policies. So far, neither has happened. The federal government's 2022 budget announced plans for a review of financial sector legislation that will look at cryptocurrencies and other digital assets. Cryptocurrencies have become a hot political topic in recent months, with conservative party leadership contender Pierre... I cannot pronounce Poirier's name, so don't laugh at me. But anyway, he's touting Bitcoin, and he's promising to make Canada the blockchain and crypto capital of the world. Yeah, buddy, they all say that, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I was like, now we got the mayor of New York has been saying that he's going to make New York City the center of the Bitcoin universe, and we've got you know, Governor DeSantis in Florida is saying that he wants to make Florida this and that. And then you've got uh, the mayor of Miami saying that that's going to be the center of Bitcoin. And yet everybody's actually moving to fucking Austin, Texas. And while it is that our government has opened his mouth uh, a couple of times and said something about, you know, we're going to make Texas the... Uh, The cryptocurrency or Bitcoin capital of the world, uh, it's actually happening, whether he opens his mouth or not, the amount of mining that's coming in. But first and foremost, it's not the mining. It's not. And it's not, it's not quote unquote, big tech companies with like massive VC funding behind it. No, no, no. That's not what I'm looking at. This sort of goes back to my question about bonds. Where did they come from? What purpose do they serve? Okay. No, it's the brain trust that's moving in to Austin. It's the people that hold brains in their skulls that do things like write and think and pontificate and philosophize the people that are desperately trying to figure out how this shit is going to work. Those people are moving to Austin in fucking droves. Okay. And it's not like the, the finance bros of the, you know, 1990, you know, late, late 1990s and into the 2000, uh, internet bubble pop that was moving into Austin. No, 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 no. Those guys were just, like I said, they're just like finance bros. They were just getting in on anything. Pets.com, flowers.com, you name it.com. All that shit wasn't a brain trust moving into Austin. What it was, was a bunch of freaking grifters moving into Austin. And that's one of the reasons why Austin had to go through a a huge amount of pain and suffering when the dot-com thing collapsed. It was brutal for Austin because they had so much money flowing in so fast. And all of a sudden, you had these people that were walking up to other people's houses, literally knocking on the door and offering without the house being on the market for sale, offering to buy their house for like 4X what it was worth on the open market. Because finance bros apparently came packing with wallets, right? And it just ended up being awful. But this one, I'm going to call it. This time it's different. It's not the finance bros that are moving in. It's people who are like literally... Finding the cheapest rent they can possibly get in a small ass office space that isn't, you know, filled with glass chairs and ping pong tables and shit like that. No, no, it's different. I look at the something like the Bitcoin Commons, and I'm just wholly impressed that this time it's not about flash. This time, it's not about any of the bullshit that we saw with. Tooth that with the whole dot com you know nineteen ninety eight to two thousand and one shit right this this time it's different. It's about the brain trust, not the vC trust moving into Austin. So these guys over there, by the way, these guys over here at the globe and Mail, they I'm sorry, but there's if I look at the people that are in Austin. And the amount of financial literacy that I've gained from those people—not just in Austin, but you know, like people like Greg Foss—I um, would not call myself financially illiterate any longer. Now that doesn't make me a master because if I was, I'd already be so filthy rich I'd be flying around in a G6. But I'm not. So all I can say is that I wish I had gotten this education in high school. I had to wait until I'm half dead before I finally figured this shit out. And yet I still have questions. I still have questions about things like what the fuck is a bond? I don't know, I don't give a shit. What I do care about is Bitcoin being the modern monetary defense protocol written by Matthew Smith from Bitcoin Magazine. Bitcoin has the potential to challenge 18th century monetary defensive protocols as a 21st century modern monetary defense protocol alternative. For starters, the purpose of any defense protocol is to provide natural barriers which are designed to increase safety and maximize security. So, the stronger the protocol, the superior protection and the security it provides. The United States Constitution, for example, is a defensive protocol that was constructed to protect individual liberties while also outlining the limitations of, quote, the people defined for their government. This masterpiece of a defensive protocol is truly a revolutionary document that helped propel civilization forward in ways never experienced before in history. Furthermore, the United States eventually established the Department of Defense, not the Department of Offense, as an insurance policy to further defend our way of life. That being said, the right defensive protocol has the potential to shape the future and pave the way forward in ways we cannot fathom at this given moment in time. Now, built into the country's defensive protocol under article one section 10 one will find the nation's monetary defensive protocol this 18th century monetary defensive protocol attempts to limit the government's ability to spend by decreeing the nation's debts will be paid using gold and silver as we may have learned history doesn't repeat itself but it often rhymes in the nation's founders we're very aware of the inherent dangers of overextending the country's obligations through a debased money supply. After all, what is history but a societal pendulum swing that starts with quality money, gold and silver, to quality currency, D-based, or sorry, quantity currency or debased currency, and then back to quality money again. Up until very recently, gold and silver have been the best defensive monetary protocols against runaway inflation and currency debasement, to this day, gold and silver still play a key role as an insurance policy as virtually every country holds a significant cash in their reserves. Currently, our 18th century defensive monetary protocol remains highly valuable, which is why it's heavily protected by a well-trained and experienced 21st century military hired by the Department of Defense using highly effective 20th century tactics. Fort Knox, which reportedly holds the nation's gold, is guarded with thick granite walls and blast proof doors that weigh over 20 tons. It's surrounded with 24 hour per day, seven day per week surveillance guards positioned in several Sentinel stations, a perimeter fence equipped with motion sensors, an electric fence that is a second barrier protecting the installation and the Appalachian Mountains to the east, which provide a natural barrier against potential adversaries. If additional military protection is ever needed, available soldiers, tanks, attack helicopters, and artillery are located at the Fort Knox military base nearby. All to say that is a significant amount of firepower designed to defend the nation's current monetary defense protocol. For context purposes, gold has been used as the supreme monetary tool to store the value of our goods and build wealth in order to advance civilization for thousands of years. Gold's natural chemical makeup, its indestructible properties combined with its scarce supply make it the most sound money human beings have discovered. It's use propelled the development of human societies as it transformed a world of bartering to a world of international trade consisting of cutting-edge technological breakthroughs. The possession of gold, although it has an excellent track record as quality money, has repeatedly led to the destruction of civilization and a historical loop that always seems to repeat itself. Sons of bitches. The inherent traits of our species, (laughs) specifically violence and greed, unfortunately always seem to manage to corrupt the money supply. Removing the corruptible and inherently violent nature of human beings from the money supply and instead outsourcing oversight to a line of code may be a viable alternative and solution to a 5,000-year-old problem. Only when civilization discovers this so-called perfectly incorruptible money in Bitcoin, can it have the opportunity to bring the type of peace that politicians and those alike claim that they want to achieve? Liars. Now, instead of hiring an army to defend an 18th century monetary protocol, the Bitcoin network elevates us into the 21st century and uses the power of electricity as a defense system. That being said, MMDP is a 21st century solution to an 18th century problem and quite possibly a contender to replace inferior monetary defensive protocols in order to maximize the protection of individual rights while simultaneously preventing irresponsible spending. Sooner or later, MMDP will eventually become a national security priority and the leaders of our nations will come to the realization that safeguarding MMDP may become as much of a national security priority, if not more, as safeguarding an arguably outdated 18th century monetary protocol. If that turns out to be the case, then it would not be unlikely to see the Department of Defense begin to quickly transcend its dominant role from a 20th century standpoint and transition to a 21st century defensive posture as civilization transitions from physical monetary defense to digital monetary defense in and through cyberspace via the power of electricity and storing monetary energy with Bitcoin. Matthew Smith was writing that one for Bitcoin Magazine. Thank you, Matt. That's actually re- uh, uh, that's actually re- an interesting counterpoint to oh, uh, what's the the Space Force or Air Force dude? I can't remember his name right now. Um, you know who I'm talking about? He's been derided he's been praised he's been torn down he's been built up he's been followed on twitter i can't remember the dude's name but he keeps talking about bitcoin as a essentially as a weapon and i've talked about bitcoin as a weapon too but i like this stance i like it as a defensive weapon and not an offensive weapon bitcoin in my opinion and it is only my opinion you can have your own opinion and that's fine you may be right i may be wrong I don't think that Bitcoin should be used as an offensive weapon. I don't. Will it be used? Probably. If it can be used in in some kind of nefarious way, it will be used because that's the interface between the system that is Bitcoin and the system that is humanity. As we interface together, we're going to find these weird edge effects. Some of them will be for good. But I guarantee you some of them are going to be used for evil. This is just the way humans run. But whatever. The 1 million euro Bitcoin retirement plan reaches 200,000 and it's not too late to invest. Joseph Hall tells us about this one from Cointelegraph. Motivations for buying Bitcoin are numerous. A hedge against inflation, financial independence, or even hopes for a Lambo and a life in the sun. Oh, for God's sakes. For Mr. ERB... A keen blogger and Bitcoin enthusi- enthusiast, it's all about retiring early. ERB keeps a detailed account of his finances on his blog and spoke to Cointelegraph about his Bitcoin retirement plan. He told Cointelegraph that he first got interested in Bitcoin in summer of 2017. Yikes, when a coworker briefly brought up the decentralized peer-to-peer currency. However, the price was about 2,000 euros at the time and I thought it was too late for the investment. A familiar story for Bitcoiners when they first entered the space, ERB told Cointelegraph that he soon stumbled across a Bitcoin podcast where Trace Mayer predicted Bitcoin would hit $1 million. Interest in the fire moment, financial independence, retire early, coupled with a newfound passion for Bitcoin changed his mind. Quote, that's when I understood I'm not late but actually early. I saw Bitcoin as a great possibility for reaching early retirement and bought my first coin in October of 2017. ERB hatched a retire with Bitcoin plan. He set a target retirement goal of 1 million euro contributing 500 euro a month, every month. His first contribution, or the first time he stacked sats, was in 2017. Five years later, the success has obviously been great, he told Cointelegraph. I don't think I could have made similar returns on any other strategy. Not to mention, the Bitcoin strategy is extremely simple and doesn't require active investment management. You buy, and you hold, and then you keep buying more, end quote. The blog ERB runs details how the current return on investment is over 450%. Compared to using the S&P as an investment vehicle, or 44%, that is a 10x and it's going to probably be 100x, In quote. Over the course of the investing journey, ERB has gleaned valuable lessons. He speaks cogently and wisely about how Bitcoin underpins his values, quote, My world view pre-Bitcoin was pretty narrow. Life looked like school, work, retirement, death. Nowadays, I think slightly differently. The ultimate goal now might be better described as entrepreneurship and self-sovereignty. So there you go. I mean, you know, here, here we got a guy that's basically doing DCA maybe not on a daily basis. I, I don't know exactly what his plan is, uh, but 500 euro a month, I mean, even if you split that up, that's basically, you know, generally speaking, there's, I think there's like 4.2 weeks a month. So do the math, and that's how much he's throwing in every week. And then if you divide all those by seven, you get how much he's doing on a day. I, you know, it's, this is a solid plan. You buy Bitcoin through DCA. You don't, Okay, my opinion, don't mortgage your house for it. Don't rack up a whole shit ton of credit card debt. uh, Unless you know you can survive a 60 to 80% drawdown on that shit. And for God's sakes, don't loan your Bitcoin out for fiat to buy more Bitcoin. Because you're just gonna end up getting a 60% drawdown and you're gonna lose the you're gonna lose your original collateral and you're gonna be stuck with brand new coins. And if your coins are older than two years in the United States, you don't pay anywhere close to the amount of capital gains tax as you would if you're holding fresh coins. I don't think that's a good idea either. Look, mine your fiat job, take some of that fiat, buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, rinse, and repeat. Just saying, non-custodial Bitcoin wallets are unbannable," says executive behind Trezor wallets. As regulators grow increasingly concerned about investors moving their cryptocurrency out of centralized exchanges, one industry exec has addressed the probability of a potential ban of non-custodial wallets. By the way, this is Helen Parts writing for Coin Telegraph. Steven Yurick. The chief financial officer of Satoshi Labs, the firm behind the Trezor hardware wallet, is confident that it's highly unlikely that governments around the world would manage to ban the use of non-custodial wallets one day. Quote, it's improbable that all the countries would ban non-custodial wallets or any other aspect of Bitcoin's peer-to-peer network for that matter, the CFO told Cointelegraph. Urich said that potential efforts to ban non-custodial wallets would be likely be similar to certain countries banning things like cryptography or torrents in the past. Quote, the adoption of these technologies continues unabated. In some sense, governments attempt at banning certain technologies are good marketing for those technologies, he noted. Also known as self-custodial wallets, non-custodial cryptocurrency wallets are designed to grant the user full control of the owned crypto in contrast to custodial wallets non-custodial ones remove the need to rely on a third party which could recover freeze or seize the user's crypto assets, and this makes the user solely responsible for storing the private keys. As non-custodial wallets essentially enable users to quote, be their own bank, many financial regulators and banking institutions became worried about potential risks behind such tools. Ja, you think? Earlier this week, a major bank association in Russia proposed to criminalize certain use cases of non-custodial wallets due to reasons like the complexity of seizing crypto assets from such wallets. Previously, a European Parliament's committee approved a regulatory update that could potentially interfere with exchanges' ability to deal with non-custodial crypto wallets. There are apparently a few ways for governments to limit the usage of non-custodial wallets, but there is no possibility to ban it completely according to the Satoshi Lab CFO. Governments could try to ban certain non-custodial wallets through mobile app stores, as there are only two dominant mainstream mobile app providers, Google and Apple. Yurick suggested adding, quote, such a ban would be pretty easy to enact, but it would cover only a portion of non-custodial wallets and would likely motivate users to look beyond the popular app stores. Hardware and desktop wallets would be unaffected. Any efforts to ban non custodial wallets would lead to strong backlash from consumer protection non governmental organizations because such censorship has no place in civilized countries, he said. Yurik also stated that open sourced hardware wallets are resistant to any ban, while hardware wallet makers are in a better situation than most other Bitcoin firms, regulatory wise, because they don't offer custodial solutions or financial services. He concluded. Quote, Governments can slow the adoption of Bitcoin, but Bitcoin will prevail in the end. Bitcoin is an idea whose time has come, and nobody can fight that. Let's run the numbers. CNBC.com, futures and commodities, futures energy or futures energy rising alongside the actual, you know, uh, in, indices, uh, which I normally don't see. Usually one's up, the other one's down. Let's go through this. West Texas Intermediate, 1.8% to the upside to 104 bucks. Brent North Sea, 1.65% to the upside to $108.56. Natural gas up almost a point to flat at $7.00. Our, sorry, gasoline, 1% to the upside, $3.32. Gold is down almost a half, oh no, a little bit over half a point, $1,945.50. Silver down almost two points to 25 bucks. Uh, Platinum down just over a point. Copper is up almost a full point. Uh, Palladium is down one and a half. Agricultural futures are mixed. The biggest loser today is going to be, who is it? It's going to be corn, 1.48% to the downside. Biggest winner today is sugar, 1.23% to the upside. And indices, we have the Dow up 0.84%. S&P is up 1%. NASDAQ is up 1.66%. And the S&P mini is up 0.8. And that is at 904 central daylight time. Real money is at $42,782 with 11,542 transactions being sent every hour on the hour. 1.17 million BTC sent in that 24-hour period. That's just under 50,000 BTC sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 4.24 BTC and a median transaction value holding strong at 0.013 BTC or 541 bucks. Block times are horrendously low, eight minutes and 31 seconds. 0.05 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, eight and a half BTC taken overall in fees in the last 24 hour period. With a 23.2% rise in hash rate, we're back up to 224.84 exahashes per second. And your shitcoin indicator as usual is Dogecoin at 14.2 United States pennies. Heavy trading, or at least, uh, well, heavy trading, and, you know, as relative to the last year, 16,420 transactions uh, occurring across 10 blocks as they wait to clear. $810.1 billion is Bitcoin's market capitalization, which is 6.32% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 21.9 ounces of shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,017,723 and a half of, and 3,000. Six hundred and eighty-four and a half of those are locked in the Lightning Network, valued at one hundred and fifty-six point nine million dollars, being run over sixteen thousand nine hundred and eight nodes, with eighty-one thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine payment channels that we know about. Seventy-three point one percent of all of it's being run over Tor's associated eleven thousand seven hundred and eighty-six nodes that we know about, and that's going to do it for vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Binance limits crypto services to Russian users after EU's latest sanction package. Liam Kelly's talks, tells us about how Binance is being a cuck. Anyway, decrypt.co. Well, I know Binance can't really do anything about it, can they? But ladies and gentlemen, understand this. If you've heard millions of times about getting your coins off of exchanges and you still haven't done it, you kind of deserve what's coming to you because one of these days, it's not going to just be Russia that's the enemy. Guarantee it. Following the European Union's fifth round of sanctions package against Russia, Binance has begun taking restrictive measures against Russian users and entities. Russian users with accounts holding more than €10,000 in cryptocurrencies will face the brunt of these measures. If an account falls into this category, quote, it will be put into withdraw-only mode, read Binance's announcement. This means that these accounts will not be able to deposit any funds and users will be expected to close their accounts within 90 days. Users must also verify their home address to comply with Binance's new ruling. That's shotgun KYC, by the way. Accounts with less than 10,000 euros will remain unaffected and active, the announcement continued. The EU announced its latest sanctions package on April the 8th. It included crypto wallets with ties to Russia as a means of closing potential loopholes in the broader suite of sanctions against Russia amid its weeks long invasion of neighboring Ukraine. Today's announcement also comes just a day after the United States government levied sanctions on the Bitcoin mining firm BitRiver and many of its subsidiaries. This is the first time the United States has ever sanctioned a crypto mining company. Censorship resistant cryptocurrencies become a key talking point as the global community attempts to limit Russia's access to the world's financial networks. According to experts, however, attempting to pitch up the entire Russian economy with cryptocurrencies would be difficult. Elliptic's Director of Policy and Regulatory Affairs, David Carlyle, told Decrypt that, quote, cryptocurrencies can't facilitate the large-scale sanctions evasion Russia will require to completely plug the gap it faces from severe sanctions. The total assets of the Russian bank subject to United States sanctions is approximately equivalent to the entire market cap of cryptocurrency. Crypto simply can't absorb the scale of transactions Russia needs to operate fully outside the scope of these restrictions, he said. So there you go. Now, let's see. What what was it about that treasure, U.S. Treasury sanctions against crypto mining? Oh, here we go. Bitcoin Magazine Sean Amick has it. U.S. Treasury sanctions Russian Bitcoin miners. I'm going to make the statement now. I'm calling... Peak stupidity on this one from the United States Treasury. Not world stupidity, but peak United States Treasury stupidity, just saying. The United States Treasury Department released a press release today announcing new sanctions aimed at Bitcoin mining in Russia for their ongoing war in Ukraine, as they are the third largest Bitcoin miner in the world, according to the University of Cambridge. The Treasury Department stated, that reliance on fiat payments and the importation of computer equipment makes Russia vulnerable to sanctions if the United States focuses on hindering the companies providing those services. Since government entities cannot stop the actual process of mining Bitcoin, the United States Treasury decided to utilize other attack vectors that weaken that supply chain. Quote, Treasury can and will target those who evade attempt to evade or aid the evasion of United States sanctions against Russia as they are helping support Putin's brutal war of choice said Brian Nelson undersecretary for terrorism and financial intelligence quote the United States will work to ensure that the sanctions we have imposed in close coordination with our international partners degrade the Kremlin's ability to project power and fund its invasion in quote One particular Bitcoin mining company, BitRiver, was addressed in the press release thoroughly. Founded in 2017, BitRiver has three offices scattered across Russia. Legal ownership was changed to a Switzerland-based holding company in 2021. This company has been designated as operating in the Russian Federation economy, thereby making it and its 10 Russian-based subsidiaries sanctionable in january vladimir putin stated that russia has distinct advantages when it comes to bitcoin mining as it relates to the energy surplus and climate conditions provided to them the united states treasury agrees with the russian president stating quote russia has a comparative advantage in crypto mining due to energy resources and a cold climate end quote why cold climate because Bitcoin miners generate a lot of heat and you need to keep them cool and it's better to do it if your ambient temperature is very, very low, like in the tundra up in Siberia and shit like that. Anyway, so sanctioning miners inside of Russia is about peak stupid. We don't really know if these guys would be able to still be able to build their own mining equipment. Yeah, it wouldn't be efficient, but do they really give a shit? they have more they they don't they're not they're not energy poor let's just call it that so even if they i mean i guarantee you somewhere in russia is a, some kind of foundry that probably makes really shitty computer chips but they do make computer chips you don't have to have you don't have to have the most efficient mining setup if you are not concerned about energy expenditure, then how much you give shit one about efficiency goes right out the window. It really does. Do they need TMSC? Or T- TMSC? Uh, whatever. What the, the semiconductor company out of freaking Taiwan? Do they need Intel? Do they need it? do they need chips that are gonna be, you know, held up at the borders? Maybe not they certainly can build their own freaking power supplies. They're not stupid. They were actually the first into space. So if you think that you're just gonna be able to shut them down from Bitcoin mining by telling you know guys in Taiwan to, please don't send your chips to Russia. First of all, they will through back channels and, and gray markets. But second of all, it's not gonna matter. Even if they did comply 100% with the United States sanctions, it's not gonna matter. They're gonna they're gonna continue to mine even if they're mining on the shittiest mining rigs ever. They'll do it by hand if they have to. I guarantee it. Well, okay, they won't do it by hand. I'm just saying there's no stopping this. Sanctioning a company inside of Russia for it's like we're gonna sanction your Bitcoin mining. I I don't know, man. Sounds like peak stupid to me. Whatever. But Let's do this one. Let's talk about TSMC. Yeah, TSMC, that's what I was groveling to get. Dennis Sat is writing this one for btctimes.com. TSMC chipmaker raises $3.5 billion to build a new United States-based plant. On April the 20th, 2022, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, or TSMC, announced that they have recently raised one, nope, 3.5 billion in bonds to grow their facility in Arizona. The company's plant is still under construction to meet the world's high and growing demand for electronics. TSMC is a major supplier for Apple Incorporated, AMD, NVIDIA, and other high-profile electronics and computer companies. Back in June of 2021, TSMC began construction for their Arizona plant and was estimated to cost around $12 billion to construct. During the company's annual technology presentation, CEO C.C. Wee explained that the factory is on schedule for chip production by 2024. Less than two years from now, the company's five nanometer chips will be available for their largest clients. These next generation chips are claimed to be 15% faster and require 30% less power when operating at full capacity. TSMC along with Intel and Samsung are all competing for a $52 billion subsidies set that are set aside for the chip industry. In early March of 2022, Biden urged Congress to pass the CHIPS Act, which would advance semiconductor manufacturing in the United States and hopefully address the supply chain issues that are still rampant throughout the world. More investment in the space continues to be a high priority for semiconductor manufacturers. It was reported in May of 2021 that TSMC would eventually build six factories within Arizona over a 10 to 15 year time span. Access to subsidies would provide the necessary capital to keep TSMC on schedule for their longer term plans. We also stated last year that TSMC would be investing 100 billion into factories, as well as research and development over a three-year period. An estimated 30 billion was already spent over the previous year. Quote, that will give us enough manufacturing capacity to support the growth of our clients, we said. TSMC and the board are still concerned about chip manufacturing costs outside of Taiwan. Founder of TSMC Morris Chang states that costs for manufacturing in their Oregon plant are still 50% higher than they are in Taiwan. Government subsidies and facilities built in other states like Arizona are in heavy demand with the aim of making the United States manufacturing viable. All right. <clears throat> this is, I don't know. I don't know if it's good or bad. i I, I think we need more foundries and I'm really, I'm really still kind of I don't know, stupefied that we were, that we allowed chip manufacturing to go, like 100% of our chip manufacturing to go outside the borders of the United States. That's just stupid. In fact, that's just as stupid as Europe being wholly dependent upon Russian oil and gas for their energy. That, both of those, both of those moves are dumb and put countries in a terrible, terrible strategic situation. Just saying. Anyway. Uh, Let's see, what else we got here? Uh, Oh, MicroStrategy's Bitcoin-focused shareholder letter. Benjamin W. tells us about how Michael Saylor wowed his people from btctimes.com. Last week, MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor addressed the company's shareholders with enthusiasm about the multi-billion dollar Bitcoin treasury strategy in the most recent investor letter released on Thursday. Quote, Our parallel strategy to acquire and hold Bitcoin has been a tremendous success. We will continue to vigorously pursue both strategies, end quote. The enthusiasm and sense of victory didn't come without trials and tribulations. However, the adversity during the past years from the ongoing global pandemic is what ultimately led to the decision behind MicroStrategy's Bitcoin strategy. In addition to growing the enterprise-level analytics software business, the company will continue to develop their Bitcoin strategy. MicroStrategy continues to deliver new features and capabilities to raise the bar and expand what is possible in their industry. They believe that they are well-positioned to benefit from the growing trend that enterprises are choosing to buy rather than build proprietary analytic software into their products. In the eyes of the capital markets, MicroStrategy is fundamentally distinguished from conventional analytic software competitors because of its Bitcoin treasury strategy. They are among the publicly traded early adopters, including Tesla and Block. Adopting Bitcoin as our primary treasury reserve asset sets us apart from conventional competitors and elevated our brand, MicroStrategy has been implementing a Bitcoin strategy for nearly two years, and has become increasingly creative. What initially started as an attempt at saving the purchasing power of their cash reserves eventually transitioned into a more elaborate Bitcoin strategy, furthering their strategy of simply acquiring Bitcoin with cash flow to eventually using the proceeds of debt and equity transactions to acquire additional Bitcoin they will also continue to increase the awareness of their bitcoin strategy through various channels and set precedents for other companies to do the same thing. MicroStrategy has the largest balance sheet of bitcoin on Wall Street and will likely remain one of the largest holders of bitcoin as their strategy seems to make everyone within the company happy. MicroStrategy spent 3.97 billion dollars to acquire 129,218 bitcoin for an average price of $30,700 for each individual Bitcoin. Okay, so shareholder letter basically saying that half of their strategy going forward is pure Bitcoin uh, uh, acquisition and holding. Could you think, think about that? This is a software analytics company and a full fifty percent of their strategy moving forward into the future for the company, the shareholders, the employees, the whole fucking ball of wax is based around saving money. Can you imagine? My God, the cojones on this guy! If he suns his balls, I'll bet the even the sun is like, man, dude, those some big balls. Anyway, Russia's latest bill looks good for Bitcoin mining, even in the face of the sanctions. Uh, This is BTC times, but there's no author on here. Oh no, it's written by CJ, sorry. The Ministry of Finance of Russia announced that it has finalized its on digital currency draft law. The announcement further stated that the bill had been clarified and concretized, if that's even a word, to include provisions related to digital mining activities on digital currency was introduced around the same time Russia invaded Ukraine on February the 24th. Since the invasion, several countries have imposed sanctions against Russia in an effort to close the country off from the global economy. As a result, Russia seems to have been weighing options to avoid a total economic fallout. In early February, several reports came out stating that Russia was considering the implementation of a digital ruble, the off, uh, the official Russian currency. The currency has since fallen over 30%, making one ruble worth less than one U.S. penny. The new digitally focused provisions look to be a complete turnaround from Russia's previous decision to ban Bitcoin and cryptocurrency mining back in January, citing financial stability concerns. Due to economic pressures they set unto themselves, the country now seems to be leaning into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency mining activities with the hopes of keeping some degree of financial stability. As a response to U.S. sanctions, Russia has already given its top lender, Spurbank, the green light on issuing digital assets. In March, Russia issued a license to Spurbank that will allow companies to issue digital assets and use them through the bank's information system. United States officials have cited concerns that Russia is using digital assets to evade sanctions, thus making them less, less effective. A Russian news outlet, Commerceant, has said that the on-digital currency bill introduces the concept of professional versus non-professional purchasers. Further, the bill is said to open opportunities for miners looking to get out of the gray zone, and that's in quotes, whatever that means. While the recent changes add some positive elements to cryptocurrency regulations in Russia, the country is far from embracing it in its entirety. Earlier this year, the head of Russia's central bank suggested the cryptocurrency be banned across the board. Well, nobody anywhere on the face of this planet at this given time in history knows what they want to do. Because any, any move you make, either accepting cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, or banning it outright. Nobody knows what those, what, what ramifications those moves have. Thankfully, all this shit can be changed. It's like, we're going to ban it. Oh, wait a minute. A year later. No, that was a mistake. Let's not ban it. Yeah, but no, I don't. There's a lot of people that are inside countries and inside country governments that are not exposed to the IMF directly. They were not a young global leader from Klaus Schwab's pedophilic club, okay? They don't have those associations, so they are able to actually think for themselves because what I think happened is Klaus Schwab hypnotized a whole bunch of young assholes That were stupid enough to come to his fucking summer camp. And then they in turn somehow or another by the way that they talk because they're under a hypnosis. Is able to further hypnotize other people that are around them. And that's how Klaus Schwab got to where Klaus Schwab is today. Do I know that that's true? No. That's complete total tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. Do I think it's possible? Yeah. I think it's actually fucking possible. I think it's really possible that that's what's going on, but that's beside the point. The point here is that every step that all these governments are taking is a very dangerous step. Whether they make Bitcoin a legal currency, whether they ban Bitcoin on ramps and off ramps, whether they do other things, if they like just holding Bitcoin, making it illegal and you can go to prison if they can prove that you hold Bitcoin. All of these steps, Nobody knows what the true ramifications are because we're in such this we're in this weird, very liquid, very volatile place in human history. The only person that really, I think, really knows what the hell's going on at this point may very well be Naive Bukele because he just flat out said, nope, legal currency, we're going to do it. Anyway, um, just to end this up here, the GBTC premium nears... 2020 high, or sorry, 2022 high as SEC faces call to approve Bitcoin ETF. And I believe they're talking about a spot ETF. Cointelegraph, William Suberg. Things are looking up for the United States' largest institutional Bitcoin product by Asset Holdings. Data from on-chain monitoring resource CoinGlass confirms that as of April the 21st, that's today, The Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is rebounding toward 2022 highs. After a problematic year so far, GBTC has benefited from steadying Bitcoin price action. Bitcoin's descent from November's all-time highs added to an already negative premium on GBTC, meaning that its share price in fact traded at a discount to the Bitcoin spot price. That discount hit its deepest ever in January when the GBTC premium hit nearly a negative 30%. ouch! Since then, a reversal has been underway, and as of April the 21st, the premium is now just a mere negative 21.4%, near its smallest for the year of 2022. The premium results from trading sentiment, and Grayscale has come under pressure over the past year, especially since the approval of the first Bitcoin futures-based exchange-traded funds in the United States. Grayscale CEO Michael Shonneshine and other industry leaders have been vocal critics of regulators in Washington who, while approving futures ETF products, continue to reject a Bitcoin spot-based equivalent. The Securities and Exchange Commission, which approves candidates based on laws dating back as far as 1933, has come in for particular public scorn as other countries, as most recently Australia, beat the U.S. to the launch. Okay, no. All they're going to be able to do is buy shares of a spot Bitcoin ETF in Canada. Okay, as far as I can tell, unless somebody corrects me, and you better have a hell of a lot of evidence, they're not actually buying the underlying asset, they're buying a share of somebody who is buying the underlying asset, which in my view makes the whole fucking thing synthetic. It's just another damn derivative. Until you actually own the Bitcoin and hold the Bitcoin and make those records transparent that we know that that wallet is yours and that that's the amount of Bitcoin that you hold at, the ETF in Australia, then you do not hold Bitcoin. Therefore, you are not a spot ETF. I'm sorry. I just needed to make sure that I stated that correctly. Anyway, earlier this month, the SEC approved yet another futures based ETF, this time based on the Securities Act of 1933 rather than the Investment Company Act of 1940, which have previously been used. And that was a milestone Sean Sign, or however you pronounce his name, told CNBC this month, it effectively backs the SEC into a corner with fewer and fewer excuses for not breaking down the barriers to entry for a spot ETF alternative. Quote, it really is, in our opinion, a matter of when and not if, he explained to the network. If the SEC can't look at two like issues, the futures ETF and the spot ETF, through the same lens, then it is, in fact, potentially grounds for an Administrative Procedure Act violation, end quote. Matt Hogan, CEO of ETF provider Bitwise, said in the same interview that a spot ETF, quote, is what people actually want in terms of institutional investment products linked to Bitcoin. Of course it is. As Cointelegraph previously reported, futures ETFs have previously faced criticism, of their own as commentators argue that they solved none of the pain points that a spot product would while potentially bringing new ones of their own meanwhile a survey by nasdaq of prospective u.s investors revealed that over 70 percent of those asked would consider gaining exposure to Bitcoin via a spot ETF should one be made available. Quote, the vast majority of advisors we surveyed either plan to begin allocating to crypto or increase their existing allocation to crypto. NASDAQ's head of digital asset index research, Jake Rapaport, commented in an accompanying press release issued April the 11th. Quote, as demand continues to surge, advisors will be looking for an institutional solution to the crypto question that now dominates client conversations, end quote. The survey also found that 86% of advisors already invested in crypto plan to increase that exposure in the coming year. GBTC had 640,930 BTC in holdings as of April the 21st, worth $26.9 billion dollars at the time of writing, and that is going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes. My wife thinks it's weird that I stare at the window during a heavy rainstorm. It'd be a lot less weird if she just, you know, let me in. Thankfully, my wife would never lock me out of the house in a rainstorm, or at least not that I know of. Uh, If you want to support the show, please do me a favor and use Podcasting 2.0. It really is the way to go. Uh, Breeze Wallet has a podcasting app inside of it, and Fountain App has a Bitcoin Lightning wallet inside of it, so... I love the way this flows. You either have a Bitcoin wallet with a podcasting app, or a podcasting app with a Bitcoin wallet. And I mean, things are just getting so cool about this stuff. You can stream me Sats, or you can boost stuff, uh, and 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 that those Sats will go directly to my Lightning node, which is about one and a half feet away from me. If you don't want to do that, Patreon one buck a month is a, is exactly what I've set that thing to as its lowest tier. And everybody gets everything, by the way. It is a support-only situation. It is patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. Again, remember, the uh, Modern T-Man or Texas Slim's Beef Initiative Conference is going on in Kerrville, Texas uh, this weekend. It starts on Saturday, ends Saturday uh, early evening. Uh, it's a one day deal, but you know, I'm sure people are going to be there for the weekend. Kerrville is not to be missed in Texas. Um, if you have not driven through the Texas Hill country, you, you should, you really should. Honestly, um, I'm going to try to be down there, uh, tomorrow afternoon. We'll, we'll see if nothing breaks loose. I'll maybe be able to meet some of you you guys again, and it will be my second Bitcoin conference ever and the only other one that I've ever been to is Bitblock Boom, and that was the one that was in Dallas, Texas. Um, I hope to see you there, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.